Andrew Womack Ministries presents this message titled, Dating and Marriage. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. We're going to share some things today that I was impressed with the Lord to share. And very, very seldom, I'm giving away some of my trade secrets, I guess, but very seldom does the Lord ever tell me what to minister before I minister. Usually when we're up here is where I get what I'm supposed to minister. But I was taking a shower, I think it was Tuesday of last week, and the Lord told me what I was supposed to minister this afternoon, so I'm going to do it. Amen? And I believe that it's going to profit. It's going to be specifically about a dating relationship, about how to receive your mate from the Lord. There's some young people here, but there's some of you here that aren't so young, and that you may think, well, this doesn't apply to me. Well, it does. I think that there's not a single person here that this won't really touch you, and it'll help you because... In the area of a man and a woman relationship, whether you're already married or whether you aren't married yet, this applies and it touches every last person that's here. And the Christians have not renewed themselves in this area. They talk about love and they tell you how you're supposed to love your brother and sister and you aren't supposed to backbite and we talk about that. But really, this is one area that has been left untouched to a large degree And so young people today are flat being destroyed because they don't know that there is a godly way to go about this. Nobody talks about it. So I've been real impressed to do it. And also, for those of you that are already married and think, well, this doesn't mean anything to me, we're going to counter some things today that will help you in your marriage. Like a man in Pritchett, where I was pastoring a church, he told me one time that his whole marriage was carnal. And he knew it was carnal. And it was based on the lust that he had back when he was in the world. And he knew it. And he didn't know how to turn his marriage around. And so a lot of the things that we'll be talking about today, about what a godly kind of love is, applies to you today, even if you're already married. These are some things that that God's people have not woke up to. And I guarantee you, brothers and sisters, we're going to have to find the truth out about this to get our marriages working right. And also, the reason I enjoy sharing this specifically about the area of dating before you get married is because if you would go at this the right way, you don't ever have to come into problems. And boy, that's a blessing. I tell you, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? And God's people need to start finding out. Some of you parents need to find out where we blew it. Amen? So that you can tell your kids and keep them. And I've also found that parents lots of times are the problems with their kids. They're the ones that push them into the dating relationship and into this pressure, and they start making fun of them. You know, you're getting 14 or 15. You had not had a date yet. You're going to be a wallflower. And the parents lots of times are where the problem comes. So anyway, don't think that this doesn't apply to you. I don't believe that the Holy Ghost has anybody here today that he's not wanting to minister to. Okay? So don't you think this doesn't apply to me, because it does. And we'll share some good things today. I believe it'll help you. Uh, One of the things I was talking about, about that you'll keep you from getting into problems, and I'll maybe share this later on. If I don't, somebody remind me. If I get all wound up and don't share this before this afternoon's over. But about my wife and I, the way we came together... We have been saved so many problems that most people go through, like my wife and I were engaged and had already talked about getting married before we ever held hands. Now, isn't that unusual, to say the least? But did you know that when God brought us together, God's the one that brought us together? And as a result, I can say it was over four years before we had an argument after we got married. Some people find that hard to believe, but that's true. Marshall lived with us part of the time. You can ask him. 
Now, I'm not saying that we didn't have opportunities for arguments. And I'm not saying that there wasn't adjustments. And I'm, when two people get together, there are going to be adjustments. But I can say by the grace of the Lord, because we came together in the Lord, we were able to give. And when I saw that Jamie was acting carnal, I wouldn't push it. Amen. When she saw that I was acting carnal, she wouldn't push me. And as a result, there was a lot of love and forgiveness, and we avoided a bunch of those problems. And then even after we had not an argument, I mean, it was just a disagreement, and we finally brought it out in the open and sat down and thrashed things out, we still have never had a fight like what anybody considers a fight, what most people consider just being normal. And so this is something that's really important. If you'll allow God to bring you together the way that you're supposed to, you'll find out that you'll avoid a bunch of problems. And brothers and sisters, um, home does not have to have the problems that we're told that it has to have today. Now, before we get, well, as we get into this, one of the first things that we're going to have to deal with is this fact that today most people have accepted as natural certain things that aren't true. And they are not according to the Scripture at all. God made a man and a woman, and he put them together. And in Mark chapter 10, he said, What God has joined together, let not man put asunder. And God did not ordain divorce. God did not ordain separation. He did not ordain fighting and all of these kind of things. Amen? If I step on somebody's toes, God will heal them. Don't you get upset about it. But that's the truth. God did not ordain that. That is not natural, and you do not have to have it. I am not saying this to condemn anybody, but I'm saying that, for one thing, you need to start enlarging your vision of what God meant for a relationship to be, because if you don't, then you're never going to rise any higher than your vision. If you think that you're supposed to have fights, and if you're supposed to be at each other's throats all the time, guess what? You'll get just exactly what you've been thinking and believing for. But if you'll find out the truth that it doesn't have to be that way, you can find out that God can intervene in your life. Amen? Praise the Lord. One of the first things, let's look over in uh, Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. The Lord was teaching on divorce. And in verse 2 it says, The Pharisees came to him and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife, tempting him? And he answered and said unto them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. And Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of the creation God made them male and female. Now, it's important the way that that's phrased right there. From the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. God didn't make males, and then he made females. Do you see the wording of it? God made them male and female. If you'll turn over to the book of Genesis and look at when all of this got started, when the Lord created Adam. In Genesis chapter 2. Verse 7, and says that the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And then if you look on down, the uh, Lord said in verse 18, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make and help meet for him. The word meet means sufficient or able. In other words, a perfect help for Adam. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found an help meet for him. 
Now, the Lord, when he brought all of these animals before Adam, the Lord was not thinking that these animals were going to supply Adam's need for fellowship and for companionship. I'm sure that the Lord was aware of that, and he was not missing it. But he did this to let Adam know that there was nothing else that would supply his need for fellowship, see, besides a woman. He had to prove that to Adam. Now, the same thing needs to be proven to a lot of people today. <laughs> a lot of people don't understand that, but God made you for a home. God made you to have a godly union, and that's the way that God created it. And I guarantee you, you need to protect it, and you need to make that one of the priorities on your list. And some of you young people may think, oh, now I'm not even thinking about this kind of stuff. Well, some of you, you may be a little young to think about it, but there's a lot of you that need to think about it sooner than what you have. Did you know it? Because that's the problem, that they never sit down and think about what God has said about it. They don't go by God's rules, and so they fall in love with the first thing that comes walking along, and that's where they make their mistake. You need to have thought this out. You need to get some direction from God because it's one of the most important decisions you'll ever be making in your life. Amen? So don't think that you're too young for this. Because it, whether it's, whether it's uh, you've got anybody in mind or not, you can take the principles of what we'll be talking about today and apply them to your life, and it'll really help you. And it goes on to say that the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept and took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So the woman was created from Adam's rib. She was not a separate creation. God didn't create male and female. God created one man. And out of the man, a part of him, he made a woman and brought the woman to man. Do you see the difference? Now, if he had have created a man, and then if he had created a woman and have brought them together, that would have been a totally different thing. But a woman is part of a man. And if you look at the wording over there in Mark chapter 10, God didn't create men and women. God created them male and female. There's a difference, if you can understand what we're saying right here. In other words, he has created from the beginning of the creation a man and a woman to go together. The point that I'm making out of this is that one of the first things that you've got to tear down and destroy is that the way that you select a mate is not just like going down an aisle at a grocery store and you picking out whatever you like. Amen. You need to recognize that God has a hand in this and that there is a perfect mate. There is a mate that you are a part of, that you are ordained to be a part of, that God has made you male and female and God has placed you together perfectly with somebody. And the only way you're going to find that mate is through the Lord. It's not going to come through shopping around. It's not going to come through trying it out. It's not going to come through any of these other things that a lot of people are doing. And now this is some of the things that we need to counter to Day. Because in our system today, we've been taught, like for instance about dating, uh, among the young people there is so much peer pressure, parent pressure, pressure from anybody and everybody about that you've got to date. If you don't date, something's wrong with you. You're something, you know, you're bound to have a wart on the end of your nose or something's wrong because if there wasn't something wrong with you, you'd be getting asked out for dates and things like this. And there's a lot of people that come under this pressure. I know that the that uh, I dated this one girl for two years. It's the only girl I ever really dated. I never was much of a dater. But the way that I got into that, I didn't care one thing about dating this girl. But I had two so-called good friends. 
that threatened me with my life and said that they wanted me to go on a triple date with them. And if I didn't invite somebody out, they was going to pick one. And they were going to ask her to go out with me. And knowing my friends, they would have got one with only one eye. I know it. I mean, and I knew what they were planning, and they they gave me a certain amount of time that I had better ask a girl or else. And so finally, I, in self-defense, decided I better pick the one I liked the best rather than let them pick it. So I asked this girl, and anyway, I wound up going with her for two years because I didn't know how to tell her. I didn't dislike her, but I didn't like her enough to date her, and she got the foot in the door, and she was all for it. So here we went. For two years, we went together. And... It was mainly just a lot of peer pressure. I didn't care anything for it. But you see, there's a lot of people today that are doing the same thing. They're dating. They're going out there. They're submitting to a lot of pressure that really isn't their desire, but that is the way that we've been taught. But one thing I want to share is that God has ordained for a man and woman to come together. God's the one that's responsible for it. And God, if you are a Christian, which I believe I'm speaking to born-again Christians, God has ordained that there is a way that you can seek your mate from the Lord. Like after I broke up with this girl, I finally got out of that. It was quite a traumatic deal for me. I was a senior in high school through all that. And anyway, when I got out, I was so blinded. I was ignorant. It's amazing how blinded I was to some things that went on. I made a promise to the Lord, and I said, I'll never date again. I said, that's it. There's got to be a better system than that. You are going to have to bring my mate to me, and if I'm hard-headed, you're going to have to hit me over the head with her, but I refuse to go back into that system. I refuse to go that way. It is not godly. I don't want nothing to do with it. And I made a commitment. And sure enough, I thought I was going to be the Apostle Paul. I really did. I used to quote those scriptures that not me. I was never going to get married. I didn't care anything about it. I was going to be separated unto the Lord. And sure enough, the Lord just hit me between the eyes is what he did. And I, I, Anyway, that's another story. I'll get into that if somebody will remind me before it's over. But what I'm saying is I made a commitment that I was not going to go through the world system. And I never had heard anybody talk about this, so I began to pray, Lord, what do I do? I'm not wanting to miss a wife if that's what you've got for me. If that's part of your will, I don't want to miss it, but I certainly don't want to go about shopping and doing the things that everybody else does. And so the Lord gave me some scriptures out of Psalms chapter 18. Let's look at this. Psalms chapter 18. Excuse me, not Psalms, Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18, I think this is it. In verse 22, Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. I'd read a scripture like that and I'd say, Lord, I see that a wife is a good thing. I don't want to miss it, but I don't want to go about it the way that I was. And so the Lord gave me this scripture, Proverbs 18:22, and he put it together with Psalms chapter 34. Let's put these two scriptures together. In Psalms chapter 34, in verse 10, it says, The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Well, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22 says, A wife's a good thing. Amen. And it says that the way you get a good thing is by seeking the Lord. If you seek the Lord, you shall not want any good thing. So I put those two scriptures together and I said, Lord, I'm not going to seek a wife. I'm going to seek you. And if a wife's a good thing for me, you're obligated to bring a good thing to me. And if you'll show it to me, I'll accept it. Now, isn't that a strange way to go about it? But did you know what? As I began to think about it and study, I found out that this is God's way of doing it. 
See, in the natural, like if I, if I had a chalkboard or something today, you're just going to have to use your imagination. But if you had a triangle, and in the natural, the way that a man and a, a woman usually come together is that they come together on this horizontal plane. Like if you had three points of a triangle, and here's the man down here, here's the woman over here, and here's God up here. The man and the woman come together first. They find each other, and then they begin to say, you know, after they get married, they say, let's seek the Lord. Let's try and make this a godly home. And that's the typical way that most Christians go about finding their mate. And they come together like this. But the problem with that is that you might come together with the wrong one. You might not get the right one. And there could be all kinds of problems as you come together that way. And just to tell you the truth... I never did like the the dating deal where you had to sit there, you know, and entertain each other. And if there was a lag in the conversation, you get all embarrassed and your ears start burning. I just didn't like that. I didn't care one bit for any of that kind of stuff. And what the Lord showed me is that the way that God ordained it is that the man and the woman, if you will start seeking God, the closer you get to the center of God's will. See, like here's God up here at the top of the triangle. Here's man and woman. As they begin to seek the Lord, the closer they get to the center of the Lord's will. When they find the center of the Lord's will, their mate will be right there too. See, because they've been seeking the Lord, they'll come together and they'll just collide. It'll be impossible. You'll have to backslide on the Lord to keep from doing what the Lord wants you to, you see, when he puts you together. Now, that alleviates a lot of problems. For one thing, you don't have to go through all of this pressure. You don't have to go through the rejection. And some of you young people, or some of you that are young enough to remember, might be able to remember the rejection, you know, of calling somebody up and asking them out and them telling you to get lost or getting your date broke off or something like that. That causes a lot of problems that shouldn't be. There shouldn't be that kind of a problem. I know the, the reason I wouldn't ask this girl out, it took me after they were going to make me do it. And I knew I had to do something. But it took me about three days to build up to it. And I remember I prayed over it. It was, a, it was an ordeal for me. I didn't have enough faith to just believe the Lord to refuse my friend's pressure. But I released my faith. And I mean, it, it was something because I had such a fear of me calling this girl up and her telling me to get lost. You're crazy. And if she'd have done that, I'd have probably crawled under a rock and have never come out. I probably would have. I mean, I just was inferior in the first place. I was introverted and all these other kinds of things. And that was a pressure to me, and it's a pressure on a lot of people. And, you know, it's not talked about maybe as much as it should be, but it's a pressure. And it affects a lot of people, and it certainly will affect your spiritual relationship with the Lord. The Scripture says to remember the Lord in the days of your youth. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. And so, anyway, I made this decision about whosoever findeth a wife, findeth a good thing, obtaineth favor with the Lord, and the Lord won't withhold any good thing from them that love him. And I just forgot it. And I found out later, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says, Are you bound to a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Are you loose from a wife? Seek not a wife. Now, that's contrary, see, to this world system. The Scripture says you aren't supposed to seek a wife. You aren't supposed to seek a husband. That's not what you're supposed to be seeking. Up in Denver at our last meeting, there was a lady there that just was, I mean, tooth and toenail after a husband with all she could do. She was had her tongue hanging out. She was looking for anybody, anybody that was available. And she was praying, and she wanted to know what's wrong. Why isn't God answering my prayers? Well, the Scripture says that you are not supposed to seek a mate you're supposed to seek the Lord, and the Lord will add unto you a mate. 
Amen? That's the way that this thing's supposed to come to pass. The same principles involved in Matthew chapter 6 where it says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. One reason a lot of people are not receiving the prosperity and the blessings that God intends for them to is because they want the blessing so that they can consume it on their own lust. They don't care a thing about really seeking God. And as a result, it's not working. If you would... If you would seek first the kingdom of God, you would begin to prosper, spirit, soul, and body. There's a lot of people talking about prosperity, but they forget that 3 John verse 2 says, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospers. What if your soul isn't prospering? What if you don't have a relationship with the Lord? Well, you're hurting yourself by quoting that scripture. And there's a lot of people quoting that, and all they're after is the money. Lord, I need some money. I need me a new car. I need me a new house. I need me this. I need that. But they're forgetting that the Lord says, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health as thy soul prospers. If you would seek first the kingdom of God and get your relationship with the Lord patched up, I guarantee you God will bless you more than you can handle. The richest man that ever lived on the face of the earth was Solomon, and it happened to him not because... He sought riches and honor and glory. It was because he asked unselfishly that he would have wisdom to know how to minister to God's people. And because God said, you didn't ask me for wisdom, I mean for riches or for glory, I'm going to give you both. And he said that he was the richest man that ever lived on the face of the earth or ever will live. Nobody's come close to holding a stick to Solomon, amen? Gold became like silver, and silver became like rocks. They said that silver was laying around on the streets of Jerusalem like rocks for multitude. Now, that's prosperity. Amen? Praise God. And that happened because that man sought first the kingdom of God. Well, it's the same thing over in the relationship, you see, of a man and a wife, that you're supposed to seek first the kingdom of God. I'll tell you another thing. I talk to a lot of people that are divorced or widowed or something like that, and they've got to have a mate, and they aren't seeking the Lord and letting the Lord, first of all, become their husband. And that's what the Scripture says to do. And I may be stepping on somebody's toes again, amen, but this is Scripture, that you need to let God become your mate. God will fulfill your longing, and if God wants you married again, and I put an if in there because there's not always that that's not always true. If God wants you married again, God will add it unto you. The same thing. The Lord won't withhold any good thing from them that love him. And uh, whosoever findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor with the Lord. So anyway, this is one of the first principles is that you ought to quit going about finding a mate in the way that the world has told us, and that is shop around, try them out, like this preacher's son that I grew up in this Baptist church. He was uh, Don Juan, and he'd date like six or seven girls all at the same time, sometimes three in the same night. And, and they were friends sometimes. He got himself in some binds, and he thought, oh, this is just the way to do it. you got to shop around. How do you know if you're going to like it if you don't shop around and try it out first? And I just couldn't do that. That is not God's system. And I tell you something else that, that really touched me is that when I began to realize that God made a man and a woman and created you from the beginning of the world and that you were sanctified unto each other, I began to look at it from another aspect. And that is that I began to want myself to be separated, pure, and holy unto my wife and not unto anybody else. Amen? 
And I begin to crave and desire that I would never have held hands or kissed a girl or done anything except with my wife because God separated me unto it. When you begin to look at this from God's standpoint, you're kind of cheating on your future mate. If you go out and do all this. Now, I'm taking for granted that I'm speaking to Christians that are not going to go out and commit anything that's immoral. But there's a lot of things that are accepted by society today that still are not separating yourself under your mate. And did you know that you'll find out in your later married life, and if I could get the adults to be honest today, I'm not going to ask you. But if you would be honest... I'm sure that you could come back and confess about how that because of your dating experiences before you got married, it reflected on you when you were married and that there was times that you was comparing and thinking, well, boy, this old guy that I used to date, he sure was he sure was a lot nicer and kinder to me than my husband. He used to open the door every time. He used to do this, and it becomes a source of contention. That is something that ought not to even enter into a marriage relationship. You shouldn't have to have all these things comparing. Your mate shouldn't have to compete. Amen. And that causes a lot of marital problems. It really does. That Right there, a lot of things could be stopped. I know that a real good friend of mine in Marshalls, uh, after he got married, he used to court all of the girls. And one of the problems that him and his wife had was that he kept getting all of these fan letters from his ex-girlfriends. And it caused no small stir in that marriage. It really did. That was something that could have been totally alleviated if he'd have just gone about it in God's system. Also, you open up yourself to a physical involvement, getting yourself emotionally involved with a person, and then if the Lord tells you that this isn't the one, get out, you're in trouble because you're emotionally involved and you're going to upset somebody else and you've got somebody else's feelings that could get hurt. You're tying yourself up. Another thing that shouldn't even have to be ministered on, a Christian ought to know this, the Scripture says out of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, not to be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. A young person shouldn't even consider, consider dating a person that's not a believer. Not even consider, much less do it. And somebody says, now wait a minute, I've heard about so-and-so that led their husband to the Lord, and now they're both serving the Lord. Well, I've heard about them too, but the Scripture says don't do it. Praise God for His mercy and His grace and that it worked out, but don't you go tempting God by trying it because that is not a godly thing. I could show you three or four testimonies where it didn't work for every one that it did work. So if you're going to play odds, that's not a good thing to do. And the Scripture says, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Amen? Another thing I'd like to share is, and now this will apply to everybody in here, and that is about what God's kind of love is. God's kind of love is not the kind of love that is talked about and that is pushed in this world today. Like, for instance, what the carnal realm is talking about love is nothing but a sensual lust, and it's a cheap, very cheap imitation of what God's kind of love is. And most Christians have never renewed themselves to this. In a lot of Christian homes where, I mean, they're getting along and maybe they aren't at each other's throats, they're still operating in a carnal type of love, not a godly type of love. Amen? They're on me. That's the truth. An example of what I'm talking about is, like people say that you know well, like this is very typical, that, well, I just fell in love. Or, boy, I really got it. You know, we got the picture of the Cupid, a little naked boy going around shooting arrows. And that you just get struck with it, and all of a sudden you fall in love, and there's nothing you can do about it. I fought it. I didn't want to do it, but I'm falling in love again or something. And then you see these soap operas where the lady is 
happily married to her husband, but all of a sudden somebody else comes along and she says, oh, I don't want to do it. I don't want it. It's, you know, I love my husband. I don't want to hurt him, but it's just bigger than the both of us. We can't fight it. We've got to fall in love with each other. That's the way that the world thinks about it, that love is something that strikes here, that you get zapped with it, and all of a sudden you got it or you don't have it. Also, they think that you can just fall out of love. Like all of a sudden, the person that you've loved for all these years and been married to, that well, maybe one of these days you're going to wake up and the love just isn't there. That'll kill you. Because that is not true. That's lust that the world's talking about. God's love is not like that at all. Let's look over in the book of Titus, chapter 2. I'll show you something. This is an important scripture that you ought to remember. This is a very, very, very important scripture. In Titus, chapter 2. It says in verse 1, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged man be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as become of holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God... Be not blasphemed. Now, there was something in there that a lot of you probably missed. But that right there says that the aged women, that means you older women, are supposed to teach the younger women to do what? To love. Now, wait a minute. This is completely contrary to everything. You can't teach somebody to love another person. You've either got it or you don't have it. You either fall in love or you fall out of love. You get struck with it. You know, you can't have any control over that. It's just some kind of a chemical reaction when the right one comes along. No, it's not either. That's lust. That's lust that the world's talking about. That is not God's kind of love. God's kind of love is something that you can teach the younger women to love their husbands. You can teach yourself to love a person. Now, see, this spills over into the Christian life with your brothers and sisters, with anybody. There's lots of times that you just don't like a person. They rub you the wrong way, and you just don't like them. There is nothing. You don't like the smell of them. You don't like the looks of them. Nothing. You just don't like that person. And if you're operating in the natural, you say, well, I just can't love them. Why? Because you're basing your love on what you can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. You're basing your love on the physical. And because of it, there may be things in the physical that you don't like about somebody. You may not like a lot of things about me, but you're supposed to love me today. The Scripture gives you a command to love me. Amen? Whether you like it or not, you're going to have to spend all eternity with me. So you might as well start loving me. And I love you. But you see, there's things, we're going to differ in the body of Christ. There's things that, you know, we just don't like about each other in the natural, but that does not mean that you can't love each other. If you're operating carnally, it could keep you from loving each other, but God's kind of love is not an emotion. God's kind of love is a decision from the heart. Now, it'll involve your emotion. I'm not denying that. Emotions will be involved in it, but that will not be what it comes from. That will not be what directs it. Love is a decision of the heart. I choose to love you because God told me I was supposed to, amen, and also because God gave me a revelation of who I was. And I found out I wasn't worth spitting on. And when I saw the way that God loved me, it makes me real easy to turn around and love somebody else because maybe I don't like something about you, but I can see me and you. 
And I can see that, but by the grace of God, if he would have judged me on what I'd have deserved, I'd have gone straight to hell. And I get real lenient with people in a hurry when you start looking at it that way. I start getting real compassionate. And you see, the Lord showed me some things, and I just choose to love you. And I choose to love people, I mean, that have turned around and that have hated me and that wished that, that, that I could just go straight into hell at that moment. They have hated me, people that I loved, people that have done me a lot of damage, and I turn around and just choose. I feel hatred or something on the inside, but I choose not to go by what I feel. I choose to go by what I believe in my heart, and I turn around and say, I love you. I forgive. It's totally gone. And you can bridle your tongue. You can bridle your body with your tongue. That's God's kind of love. If you will find out what God's Word has to say on a subject, then you can sit there and just begin to confess it and say, God, you told me to love my brothers and sisters. I don't feel it, but I'm not going to go by feeling. Love isn't a feeling. Love is from my heart. And with my heart, I choose to love that person. You can begin to say it. You can begin to act it and head in that direction. And God's power will supernaturally begin to flow through you and your emotions will get involved. You can begin to feel a love for that person. But your emotions will not be the cause. They will be the effect rather than the cause to it. Do you all see that? Now, this is something that has been completely destroying a lot of homes today is because they go along, everything's going fine, the husband and wife have a fight or something, the wife wakes up on the wrong side of bed and says, I just don't love him anymore. It's not the same as it was when I first got married. And they begin to think, oh, no, I remember this happened to June in the, as the stomach turns. And, and they begin to think about, oh, I can see the same thing happen to me. And so th Satan starts to begin to take that junk that they heard, and he begins to bring it back to their remembrance. Fear begins to, hit, begins to hit them. They begin to confess it. They go talk to their best friend about, I fear that our love's just falling apart. And sure enough, they're going to get just exactly what they say. You don't fall in love and out of love. You destroy it because of that old unbelief that Satan has put forth in the world. And back to what we was talking about, you don't just all of a sudden get it for a person out in the natural. Amen? You can cultivate it. And what I'm saying is you don't have to worry about all of this dating relationship. You can go simply to God. You can seek God, and I promise you, God is the one that brought the wife to Adam. It was God's responsibility. Adam isn't the one that brought this thing up and said, God, you bring me a wife. I need some help. God's the one that started the whole mess. Amen? God's the one that's in charge of this. He's the one that's responsible for taking care of it. And if God's people would just let God go back and handle it, God would straighten it out, brothers and sisters. But you see, we've got so far out of balance, and man, we're doing it our own way. This is the way I want to do it. And because of it, America today has two out of every three marriages that's winding up in divorce, and they wonder what's wrong. God established marriage, not man. Man thinks they did. Man thinks that they can do it however they want to. I'm the one that gets married. I can do what I want to. No, you can't. God's the one that established marriage. And if you're going to have a godly marriage, if it's going to work, you had better go back to God's principles and find out what God said about it and seek it God's way. It's not yours to do with it you want. And that's the reason the homes are corrupted and polluted. Now, I know some of you are looking at me like, oh, no. What if I blew it? What if I missed it? Well, it doesn't do you any good to speculate what if. The situation is now you're in it. God certainly, you aren't going to make anything better by getting out of it. 
So you need to go back to Titus chapter 2 and say that I am going to love my husband because I am married to him, right, wrong, or indifferent, whether I went about it God's system or not, I'm there. And, and don't let high imaginations come in your mind and start speculating what if this and what if that. You are in that situation, so go back and just begin to sit down and say, I am going to love my husband and begin to confess it. God gave me a command to love my husband. I'm going to love my husband more than any woman ever loved her husband. And the husband can say to the wife, I'm going to love my wife more than any man ever loved his wife. And get out of going by feelings or anything else. You begin to confess it. You begin to speak it. You begin to act it. And you'll find out that your emotions will get involved. Amen? Back to what I was talking about earlier. When my wife and I, when the Lord brought us together. See, this was very peculiar, the way we were brought together. And it was because I didn't know that anybody had ever come together like this. I thought the only way you did it was to date, and all of a sudden your body chemistry changed, and you just couldn't live without them, and you had to get married, and you got butterflies in your stomach and all of these kind of things that the world talks about. And that's what I was exposed to. I'd already made a decision I wasn't going that way, and I didn't know how the Lord was going to do it. I figured however he did it, he'd be honest. Amen? But I didn't know how he was going to go about doing it. Well, the way it happened, my wife and I knew each other for quite a while. And uh, matter of fact, I'm four years older than her, and like when I was in the sixth grade, she was a second grader, and I used to look on her as a little kid, and I never had any thoughts about her at all. Well, after I got into college, and she got into college, and I got back from Vietnam, we had a prayer meeting group, and there was a bunch of people in this prayer meeting group. Let me, before I get into that, let me also say one other thing. Some, some young people might say, but now wait a minute, if you don't have dating relationships and if you don't go about it the way that the world does, you're going to just be lopsided. You're never going to associate with any boys or you're never going to associate with any girls. I'm not saying that at all. There's a scripture in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, if you'll look this up, I believe it's verse 1 and 2. It tells you not to rebuke an elder, but to entreat him as a father, the younger men as brothers, the elder women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters. And it's telling you how to deal in the body with people, and it tells you to treat the younger women as what? Sisters. And this is the way that God ordained it. I'm not saying that there shouldn't be any boy and girl relationship or contact, but I'm saying it ought to be like a brother and a sister. And see, this is the way it was. We had a group of young people in our church that we spent nearly all the time together. We went to meetings together. We had prayer meetings every morning at 7 o'clock in the morning together. We did everything together. There was a group of about 10 that went every place together. But there wasn't any of us who were boyfriend and girlfriend at all. It was just a godly group, and I tell you, we had a lot of good times, we had a lot of fellowship, and yet there wasn't any of the problems that a lot of people go through. So this is the way it was with my wife. We were just fellowshipping together in these prayer meetings and things like this. And in uh, March of 1972, I guess it was, March of 1972, not very long, is a year after I got out of the service, uh, the Lord began to put a relationship between my wife, me and my wife, not in the physical, but in the spiritual. We began to be so much one spiritually that it was nearly spooky. Like what I'm saying is that when we went to pray, there was, a, there was an agreement between me and her like nobody else that I'd ever seen. And it got to where she understood. We were just what it was. We were becoming one in the Lord before we were ever united physically. And we could see it happening. There was such a relationship that other people had come up and they, like, for instance, this one guy thought that we'd been married a couple of years and we weren't even sweet on each other. We were just brothers and sisters in the Lord and they thought they picked us for being married. I mean, we kind of acted like that and yet it wasn't 
physically at all. Like I said, never held her hand or did any of that. There was just a oneness between us. There was one purpose. We both had the exact same goal. We were both seeking the same thing. And it was amazing. The Lord just brought us together spiritually. And I began to see some of this, and I got a little concerned about it. I got to saying, Lord, what's happening? And I began to have, you know, thoughts about my wife, about I sure do like her, you know, and, and this is before she's my wife. And I began to have some thoughts, and this was inconsistent with my commitment that I made to the Lord that I was never going to date anybody until the Lord showed me the one I was supposed to marry. And so I got to doing some business. And this was back when I didn't know much about the Word. And so I made a decision I was going to put a fleece out. And sure enough, I got fleeced. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. One morning, after a Bible study, I told my, I told Jamie, I just came up and I said, Has the Lord been dealing with you about something? And my motive behind that was that if God had been dealing with her, I mean, if He had been dealing with me about marrying her, well, then He'd sure have to deal with her because she's 50% of the deal. So I said, If God really, if this is God speaking this to me, God would have to speak it to her. So I put it to her like that. Has the Lord been dealing with you about something? Just, I mean, cold turkey. And she looked at me and she, well, she said, yeah, but I don't know what it is. And so she didn't say much. And I, you know, I didn't say anything to her. I just walked off. And when I got by myself, I said, well, if it was God, she'd know what it was. I said, I sure felt like I knew what it was. And so I said, that's not it. So from March of 1972 until August, I prayed against it. Man, I was withdrawing myself from her. I wouldn't even get around her. If I could help it, I was I was going to destroy any physical attraction to Jamie that there was because I just wasn't going to go that route again. And I began to stand against it and fight it. So after I said that, see, the Lord had been dealing with Jamie, but she hadn't really gone as far in it as I had. She wasn't as receptive to it. So she began to pray, Lord, what's happening? And in about J June, I think it was, the Lord began to show her, and she began to have such a love for me that she just couldn't hardly contain it. And she finally did the same thing. Lord, I want out of it. And she rebuked it, and it wouldn't leave. Anyway, through a long progression of events, the Lord showed her that I was supposed to be her husband. So she didn't tell anybody. She didn't say a word to anybody, but from June until August, she began to pray for me and intercede that I'd come around and see the light. But she didn't say a word to me. And then the Lord told her one time that she needed to just withdraw from me spiritually, not physically. And like I said, we had such a oneness in the Lord that it was amazing. And it had come, see, over a year or a year and a half period of time. And so we'd still go to these Bible studies together. We'd still see each other. And she'd still be nice and polite. Nobody else knew anything was happening. Nobody. But me, I could tell that something was happening. There was such a relationship, and I don't know how to explain this. I'm sure that most of you have felt this with either your husband or wife or somebody. But there was such a relationship in the Spirit that I could tell that something was wrong. Nobody else could tell. Nobody else could tell anything was going on, but I could. And I remember one time I was teaching a Bible study, and I had my back turned to the door. And Jamie walked in the door. And I said, oh, no, Jamie walked in. And I turned around, and there she stood. I mean, she could come just within a little bit of distance from me, and I could begin to tell what was happening, and that began to concern me. I began to get a little worried about what's going on between us. So finally one night, I took all the kids home after Bible study, and I took her home last, and I said, I want you to tell me what's wrong. Are you upset with me, mad at me? What's happening? And she says, I'm not mad. She said, the Lord just told me to withdraw from you. And so she explained what was happening, and anyway, when she explained, then I saw what was happening, that there was already a union and a unity between us. So anyway, we didn't say anything else about that. That was 
all the end of July, and it's kind of a long story again. But finally, after a Bible study one night, Jamie came in, and I could tell, see, that she was wanting to talk or do something, and she wasn't going to say anything, so she left. And I went out and got her and, and sat her down, and I said, what do you want to talk about? And so the Lord had been dealing with her over a long period of time. And anyway, she finally just broke down and she says, I know that you're going to think this is terrible. And I know that you could take this all the wrong way. And she apologized. And I finally just had to drag it out of her and say, say it. And she says, well, I love you. And she says, not just in the Lord. Because, see, we had done that. I love you, brother. And I love you, sister. But she says, I don't think it's just in the Lord. She says, I think it's the other way. And, I, and to her surprise, she thought I'd hit the door running. But to her surprise, I said, well, praise God. If the Lord wants us to be one, we're going to be one. And it floored her, floored me too. <laughs> so she left. And that's all that was said. And we both began to pray and intercede about it. And as I prayed, it was just something that it was God's will. God revealed it to my spirit. It was all together. Everything was in line. And it came to a point that I knew that it was God's will for Jamie and me to be married. And it all came spiritually that we never had even held hands. So when I finally accepted that, Lord, I do believe that this is your will, then I had a problem. Because I began to tell the Lord, I said, well, if we are supposed to be married, we are going to have to become one physically as well as spiritually, and I am going to have to like her, and I am going to have to have a desire for her. And so I said, I don't have it. And she didn't have it either. We were just one in the Lord. We were good friends in the Lord. And so finally I had to ask the Lord that if this is of God, you're going to have to really give me a love for her physically. And sure enough, boy, I mean, it didn't take very long for bam, it hit lift and all of these other kind of things to try and keep your mate. You cannot base a relationship on that. God made a man and a woman to come together spiritually first. And the most important part of a marriage relationship is the spiritual relationship. If you don't have it, then you aren't really experiencing what marriage is. That's not God's kind of love. The physical relationship is not God's kind of love. It's involved in it, but that cannot be the basis of it. And I'm stressing that because there's some young people here that you need to know that. That unless you come together with the one that God intended for you to have, it doesn't matter if they are the homecoming queen and if he's the king and all these other things, it just isn't going to work. You cannot make a marriage out of that. And a person with a great personality, you go to living with them a while and you'll find out that they got chinks in it. Amen. That it is not flawless. This old brother over here, he's one of the nicest guys that ever lived. He's, he's lovely. He's a good guy to get along with. But he, lived, he moved in with me for two months. And I tell you, even though I love that brother, he, <laughs> he's not perfect, amen. And he'd say the same thing about me, right? Amen. And it doesn't matter who it is. You just need to realize that you can't keep a relationship intact just by the physical. If we didn't have a commitment to each other in the Lord, and if we weren't brothers in the Lord and united in the Lord, we would have had plenty of opportunity to split. We've been through some rough times. We've been through some hard times together. And whether you realize it or not, a man and a woman are going to go through some rough times. And there's going to be a lot of hard times. And if you aren't united in the Spirit and totally committed to each other as this is God's will for me, and you would no more think about doing something to hurt your husband or to hurt your wife than you would to go out and commit sin. Because you realize that that's just as much a part of your life and God's will for your life as anything else. Until you get that established in it, I guarantee you, you're going to let things bother you.
You're going to let all kinds of problems come into your life. And you're going to let Satan tempt you. There's going to be all kinds of problems, things come at you. But if you would just simply take a few of the things that we've said today and go at it and realize some of these things, it would just redeem you. Amen? It would help you. You young people, boy, you don't have to go through that. And people make fun of me. People made fun of me, do you know it? People really did. There's a lot of times. As a matter of fact, I remember in my church one time, they, the deacons started to come and talk to me and, and de-church me because people would get on my back about dating. And I'd tell them, well, I'm just like Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. And I was just saying it as a joke. And what that says is, now concerning the things whereunto you've written unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. And I said, that's the way I believe. And I just go on. <laughs> and of course, that's not, that's a little bit out of context. That's not what he's saying. But you see, I was saying that as a joke. Well, people in the church took it as being real, and this man came up and said that, are you saying that it'd be wrong for you to date my daughter? And he got his feathers ruffled, and as a result, I got in trouble over it. It cost me a few things. There's a lot of people that didn't like it. But did you know what? Today, I'd stack my marriage up with anybody's that argued against me. I really would. And we aren't perfect. We're still learning and growing in the Lord. But I guarantee you, we got a good relationship. We got a good marriage, and it's going to stand the test of time. Hell's going to freeze over before our marriage breaks up. And I know that. And brothers and sisters, there's very, 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 very few people that can say that. And the reason for it is because they didn't go about it God's way. It's not based on God's rules and on God's system. And I'm warning you young people, this is important what we're talking about, that if you do not base your relationship with your future mate on the Lord, you are headed for destruction. It's just like building on sand, like that parable of building on sand. Satan is going to come fight you. Any marriage is going to have problems. And if you aren't founded on the rock, you are going to be destroyed. And don't think that you're the exception. Two out of three today, marriages are winding up in divorce. And a lot of those, it's the third and the fourth and the fifth divorce for them. And I guarantee you, don't think that you're an exception. God has a perfect will for your life, even in the area of dating and finding your mate. Those of you that are already married, you need to go back and you need to realize that probably the way that you got married and you came together was not through God's system. And there's a lot of married people today that need to go back to the basics and you need to say, Honey, I need, we need to become one spiritually. We need to get to where when we seek the Lord, that I'd rather seek the Lord, I'd rather pray with you than I had any personal life on the earth. We're one. We need to be in agreement. We need to have a spiritual relationship. And I guarantee you, you need to cultivate that. Don't anybody take what I'm saying and get under condemnation because if you're already in a marriage relationship that's not the way that it should be, there's nothing to be profited by getting condemned about it or getting upset. Just cast it behind you and say, I ask forgiveness. I didn't know any better and God's not imputing it unto you. But don't stay where you are is what I'm trying to say. Realize that the spiritual relationship is what God is seeking to cultivate in your marriage. Some of you may say, but my husband's an old reprobate and he doesn't like what I do and he doesn't want to be in spiritual relationship with me. Well, then you're going to have to get into the scriptures like 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 and 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14. That's a whole other teaching, but there's things you can do for that. There really is. There's a lot of things that you can begin to do. The scripture says that you can convert your husband. He'll be one even if he isn't in the word. He'll be one by your chaste conversation. And I, out of all the people we deal with, most of them are usually women believing for their husband to come around. I don't know why that is. But that's the way it is lots of times. And you'll find out that in most of the cases that I deal with somebody, 
the wife is always saying that the husband's the problem. But did you know the scripture doesn't take that approach? The scripture says you get your chase conversation operative and he'll be one. If you will get your faith operative, he'll be sanctified by the faith of the wife, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14. So don't think that, well, I'm in a different situation. My husband, my wife's not a believer and there's nothing I can do about it. Yes, you can. You have more effect on the person that you're married to than any other person on the face of the earth. And I've had a lot of people say, if you could just sit down and talk to him, I couldn't accomplish one-third as much as the mate could because you are one with him, whether you realize it or not. A scripture that I want to leave with you that will emphasize this over in Genesis, the fifth chapter. In Genesis chapter 5, it says in verse 1, This is the book of the generations of Adam in the day that God created man. In the likeness of God made he him, male and female created he them. See, this is going back to what we were talking about, male and female. He didn't create two separate people. He just created one person and made him a male and a female. <laughs> Amen. Y'all understand what I'm saying through that? And it says and called their name Adam. He called their name Adam in the day when they were created. He didn't call their name Adam and Eve. He called their name one name, Adam. Adam gave a name to Eve. God didn't name Eve. What this is pointing up is the way that God looked at Adam and Eve. They were one. They were so much so one that he didn't even have two names for them. He called them one name. And most people don't understand this, but this is what the whole uh, deal in marriage is, that a woman loses her maiden name and takes on the name of her husband. That's been carried down throughout the centuries. What it's symbolic of and showing you is that God called your name Adam. My wife's name is Andy in the Lord. That's how much one we are. And the Bible says you have more control over your mate than anybody else on the face of the earth. When you pray for them, it is nearly, not quite, but nearly as if you were praying for yourself. I can't have that much effect on anybody in here. Well, that's power. And if you could wake up to that, then you get yourself straight. You begin to release your faith and begin to quit cursing your husband or cursing your wife and saying the old dirty so-and-so, they doing this wrong and doing that wrong. Scripture says you can have what you say, and that's where a lot of people are missing it. My husband's such a dirty, rotten, so-and-so, and all this, and you're getting just exactly what you say. You need to change it around. Begin to confess that they're blessed, that they're operating in the Word of God, that they're coming around. You need to quit agitating them. And I'm not saying these things to hurt you. Don't anybody think I'm picking on you. I'm just saying I've been married, and I know... That there's lots of times that they tell you to take out the garbage and you don't like to take out the garbage and you'll say something over it. You just need to sit down and figure out, is your marriage worth taking out the garbage? Or are you going to make a point out of it? Is that going to be a source of contention? Or are you going to sow a seed of strife? Or are you going to do it? And I guarantee you, they're just, that's just nothing but selfishness. It's nothing but pride most of the problems in marriage. The fact that I'm not going to bend and you're going to have to bend. And they say, not me, you're going to bend. And so they wind up going their own separate ways. That doesn't have to be. And I guarantee you, you can see the relationship change. There's a lot of instances I could give, but there's a lady that I'm thinking of that I won't go into details. She doesn't like me going into details anyway, but it was the worst marriage relationship I've ever seen to where the husband literally tried to kill the wife on a number of different occasions. Broke her neck. She was petrified of him, and not only was it a physical problem, he had a spiritual dominion over her. She, when they got married, she thought he was God. She worshipped him as God, and he ruled her life, spiritually and physically. 
When she came across our path, we started sharing the truth with her. And I started telling her how she had to break that demonic bondage. And since I couldn't minister to the man, I ministered to her and told her that, yes, he may be a problem. But I said, he couldn't dominate me the way that he dominates you. And I'm not talking about just physically. I, with his words, he'd say something and it'd just throw her into convulsions because he had so much dominance over her life. And I said, the things he says doesn't affect me that way. And she says, but it affects me. And I says, well, he's the problem. But that problem could not be having dominion over you if you weren't receptive to it. Y'all see what I'm saying through that? You can shake your head yes or no. I got to seeing that, yes, you may not be the one that's caused the actual problem in your life or in your marriage. It may be your other partner. But it couldn't oppress you if you didn't submit to it or allow it in some form or fashion. This lady got to seeing that. She took her rightful place in the Lord, and he came to kill her one day, put a butcher knife to her throat, and he said he's going to slice her up like a piece of meat and she started laughing she says I'm the property of the Lord Jesus Christ you can't touch me and she said I love you and you're going to be converted you're going to be straightened out and she began to preach to him he dropped the knife and if you love me fix me a hamburger and from that day to this he has never one time physically oppressed her he's tried to still dominate her with her words with his words but she stood against that and right now he won't come to me but she's seeking counsel from somebody else. He says that he's ready. He wants some help. He moved out of the house because he said, I'm afraid of you. But yet he seek, he's tried to get her to come. I mean, he's tried to come back a bunch of times. He'd like to come back if he could have his old ways and rule her. And she says, no, when our marriage gets put together, it's going to be put together the way God intended it to be. And she stood her ground. And so he's seeking help. He's going to find somebody to tell him about the Lord. And it yet remains to be seen if he's ready to really repent now. But I mean, this whole situation's turned around and he's changing. And so I'm telling you that I don't care how bad your situation looks. Yes, your husband or your wife may really be the source but you don't have to allow it to dominate you. If you will get strong in faith, you can begin to pour blessings back. Those of you that have problems in your marriage, you know this, that you can be just praising God. Everything can be going great. The anointing of the Lord, joy, power, peace, all of these things can just be flowing through you and you can have a great time. And your mate can come in and say one word and destroy it all. Tear it down, knock you flat of your face, right? That's because it's a demonic power. One thing you need to recognize, you aren't fighting flesh and blood, you're fighting principalities and powers. That's Satan warning at you through the other person. Well, now look at it this way. If Satan could come in and say one word and knock you flat of your face and destroy the things that God's been ministering to you and the joy and the peace and all these things you're feeling, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. If you would get as strong in the Lord as your maid is in the world and in the carnal things, you could come in and you could say just one word and their depression and their hatred and the turmoil that they felt all day at work could just be completely smoothed out and they could just begin to start receiving the love of the Lord. If Satan can do it, how much more should God be able to do it in the opposite realm? We've just been selling ourselves over to the devil. A lot of you have been saying that it just can't be done and because of it you're getting exactly what you're believing for. You believe it can't be done and it's not being done. But if you'd begin to believe and if you'd get in the Word and if you'd stand your ground and believe and confess, I guarantee you God can straighten your home out. Some of you are going to have to really learn to teach yourself to love your husband or to love your wife.
because you may have had so many infractions come that in the physical, with your emotions, you don't have any love in the physical. And that may be possible. But God puts you together, or let me say whether God puts you together or not, you are together, and God wants you to love your husband and to love your wife. You can command that I will do it and that this will be a good marriage, and you can will it to be so. And I have seen it turned around to where people that, I mean, it was evident that when they came together, God didn't put them together. They hated each other. They were on the verge of divorce and separation. They, one partner turned to the Lord, began to believe for the other, and the marriage has been restored and put back together to where now there is such a love and unity among them that they can't imagine that if God had anybody better for them, if there was a perfect mate that they missed, how could it be any better? It can be so totally restored that you don't have to sit there and wonder, did I miss it? You're in that situation. Make the best of it. Release your faith, and it can become heaven on earth. It really can. It can be a glorious relationship. God said it wasn't good for you to be alone. God said it, and God knew what he's talking about. So God did something good. If your marriage isn't good, God's not the source of it. Amen? And that may hurt some of my feelings, but you need to wise up. God's not the one that caused the problem. I heard so many people say, why did God do this to me? Why such a terrible marriage? God didn't do it to you. If we'd study and follow God's plan for marriage, I guarantee it would work. It's unchangeable. And so be encouraged by this. And praise God, realize that some of our basic things that are concerned with marriage have all been thought of carnally. And a lot of Christians today are going at their marriage carnally, and it's nothing but the grace and the mercy of God that's kept you together. Amen? Many of you can shake your head. That is the truth. Amen? But we can, re we can change it. You can begin to get in and learn some of these things, and I promise you, you can develop a love and a relationship that will far surpass this old carnal junk that you see on the screen. And let me just throw this one last thing in, amen, I think I'll quit. And that is that you need to quit listening to As the Stomach Turns, amen. And you need to quit watching these soap operas and listening to all of this junk, and you need to renew your mind from what the world says. Because I promise you, this may be the first time that some of you have ever heard that God's kind of love is not an emotion, it's a decision from the heart, and that you can actually teach yourself to love somebody. It may be the first time you've ever heard it. And it may be the last time you ever hear it. And if you go out of here, Satan's going to start bringing back to your remembrance all of the things and all of the values that you've accepted since you were two years old. And if you go sit down in front of the boob tube, Satan's going to start showing you again. And I guarantee you, the Bible says, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. If you take this and simply file it away in your head somewhere and go out, you're going to have it stole from you. You're going to come back into, Well, I just don't feel love for my husband or for my wife. And you're going to destroy your marriage, and you're going to let Satan steal, kill, and destroy you're going to have to take this. You're going to have to cram it on the inside of you and start uprooting things in your life that have been contrary. And you're going to have to quit cramming the unbelief and the doubt of the world into you. And you're going to have to get out of this junk that's affecting our society. It's going to make you live a separated life. If you don't want to live a separated life, if you want to be like everybody else, just plan on divorce. Just plan on separation. Plan on trying it at least three or four times before you find the right one. The way I look at that is, if I was to miss it on the first one, I'd be afraid, man. One, two, three strikes you out. I wouldn't just keep trying. If I blew it, I'd just quit. Amen. That's the way I look at it. 
But brothers and sisters, you need to renew your mind, and you are going to have to be separate. It's going to take some kind of effort to renew yourself and get the junk of the world out of you, but you can do it. God has a perfect plan for marriage. And if nothing else, there's, we could minister on this for months, but if nothing else, I pray that today you at least got some hope that it's not just up to chance and that it doesn't just happen. Lord, somehow do something. The Lord has told us ways to get our marriage straightened out. For you to find the right mate, there is a godly plan for it. Don't get into discouragement. What can I do? There's a lot that you can do. And know that God's the one that instituted marriage. He's got rules that govern it. And if you'll get in God's Word and find out what they are, it'll begin to work in your life. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's have a word of prayer. And then I'd like to minister to anyone today that has a need. We hope that your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. Remember, Andrew Womack Ministries operates a helpline that you can call for prayer and information at 719-635-1111. We have a ministry website at www.awmi.net and you can write the ministry at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs 80934. Until next time, we pray that you will reach out by faith and receive everything that is yours through God's grace.